Well, good morning and welcome to North Village Church. My name is Keith Tooley and I'm the leadership development pastor here, pinch hitting for Michael this week. And uh, so glad you're here with us only online this week. We made the decision yesterday to not meet in person this morning uh, with some reports of some of our members being tested positive for COVID. So we just wanted to be as careful as possible. Uh, also, we're not meeting uh, next week as well. And part of that was because we knew that families would be getting together for Thanksgiving and we wanted to reduce any additional exposure. And also just frankly to give our volunteers and staff a break. Uh, typically on a Sunday morning to set up and get everything ready and throughout the service you'll see a, a good 15 to 20 volunteers. So just giving everyone a break uh, this, this Sunday. Hey, I also just want to give a shout out to uh, three guys, uh, to Caleb, to, to John, to Buddy. They showed up here yesterday. We did some projects, but the main thing is they put lights, uh, all new lights in these chandeliers, so it's much brighter here in the worship center. They also put in some lights that are focused straight on the, the stage, so it just really lights up everything. And it really will be good uh, as for uh, production purposes for sermons and worship services in the future. So thanks guys so much for showing up yesterday and uh, helping us out. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. And I, <laughs> you know, when you say happy Thanksgiving, you're going, how are we gonna have a th happy Thanksgiving? It's just been such an ordeal thinking about, are, are we gonna travel? Are we gonna get together with family? Not. And, uh, but I, I think we could probably all agree, um, 2020 has been a horrendous year, but we are still so blessed. We, we live in an amazing country, so blessed in this country. And I hope that as we all sit down to eat some turkey, uh, or whatever you're gonna eat on uh, uh, Thanksgiving, and watch some football, whatever you like to do, I, I think we all have some blessings that we'll be able to count. And um, so I hope you can do that with your family or, or maybe you're just gathering as immediate family, but count your blessings. Now, this morning we're going to be talking about doubts and what a perfect time to be talking about doubts. If anything has cast doubts on everything we're doing, it's COVID, right? But we're also going to be talking about doubts about Jesus being the Messiah. Uh, we're going to be talking about doubts about our faith, uh, doubts about is God hearing my prayers? Is he answering my prayers? So if you have doubts, I'm so glad that you're with us online and tuning in to this service. I, I really believe it'll be helpful for you as we get into God's word. Now, for the past four weeks, our lead pastor, Michael Dennis, he's been teaching a sermon series on arguments. And these are arguments that uh, up to this point, the religious leaders uh, were engaging him with Jesus and they were trying to stump Jesus. They were trying to get Jesus to not answer the, a question just perfect and maybe disprove what some of the claims Jesus was making about being the Messiah. So the past four weeks, uh, Michael's tackled uh, arguments that Jesus had with others about death, politics, morality, and, and doctrine. In fact, last week, Michael tackled the doctrine of election, extremely uh, challenging doctrine topic, and he did a great job. He really did a great job. I just encourage you, watch that sermon, listen to that sermon, 
Catch it on our YouTube pages, Facebook, our website, our newsletter, because Michael does a really good job of explaining who God is and who we aren't when it comes to election. So you're willing to do that. Now, today we're going to be talking about an argument about Jesus' identity, or more specifically, how Jesus responded to a question about his claim to be the Messiah. And this is going to be in chapter 11 of Matthew, if you want to grab a Bible and go there, okay? Now, in this season of intense arguments about topics, um, hasn't it been refreshing to hear from Jesus? I mean, Jesus, he really just knows how, he knows how to win arguments. He also knows how to settle arguments. And uh, I have just really enjoyed learning from Jesus uh, the best ways to argue if you have to argue. Now, when asked questions, I love that Jesus was a man of few words. But what he had, what he said, packed such a punch. Uh, it was so profound. And, and Jesus often, if you read over throughout the New Testament, when Jesus spoke, people were awe and they were in wonder of these things that were coming out of his mouth. And uh, he utterly left them speechless. Okay. Uh, and my wife Kay made a joke that as we were talking about this scripture, she's going like, you know, I guess that's why Jesus had to travel from town to town. He just kept leaving people speechless. They didn't want to ask any more questions and he needed someone to talk to. So uh, we laughed about that. So i tell you what, I, I don't know about you, but as I get in arguments about COVID and how to work things out and stuff, um, I don't know that I've been leaving anyone uh, in awe of me, or wonder of my arguments. Um, it's, you know, as we talk about what's safe, what's not safe, it's, uh, it's, it can get into some really um, difficult conversations. I mean, some of these conversations can just be so, I mean, literally they can be, uh, brutal or painful or ugly and maybe you've experienced that as you've had some of these arguments over over COVID and um, for me personally arguments are extremely draining for me I mean uh, when I'm in an argument I'm having to concentrate so hard and it's it's really tiring, tiring and grueling because uh, I'm when I'm in an argument I'm thinking about okay how can I either win this argument or how can I back out of the argument? I just get, be done with it. And so it's really hard for me to engage in arguments. And what happens in arguments is there can be some really ugly things said from both sides, people on both sides of the argument. And by the time it's over, you don't like the other person, they don't like you, you don't like yourself, and it feels just like a lose-lose situation. And especially when it comes to these arguments about COVID, we, we feel like, man, we have a lot more questions now than we had answered when we started, before we started this argument. So, so for me, I mean, by nature, I'm a, I'm a really passive, I'm a, I'm a really gentle guy, so I'm avoiding arguments at all costs, okay? Uh, now, I know someone in our community group that's on the other side of the spectrum, and uh, for me, it looks at arguments very differently. And, and there are those that, uh, it's not because they like to argue. I found that it's, uh, it's just easier for them to embrace conflict because 
they really do want to resolve a situation. Now listen, let's just say they, uh, they have a special gift, a gift that I certainly don't have. But, you know, for sure, for all of us, we have different levels of comfort when it comes to conflict. So before we get into today's passage, I just want to explain a little bit in the big picture, you know, what's going on, the, the back, we'll call it the background. So the background for today's scripture reading. So if you look in the book of Matthew, by chapter 11, Matthew is presented a ton of evidence. He's presented the credentials of Jesus as the Messiah in relationship to his virgin birth. No one else has had a virgin birth. His baptism by John, his, his 40 days in the desert being tempted by the devil, and Jesus was victorious. Jesus' profound teaching, and then uh, the, just the supernatural power he had, the miracles. These are five huge arguments for Jesus as the Messiah. And by chapter 11, Jesus has clearly demonstrated his God-given authority to numerous people throughout the land. And he's becoming very popular. I mean, everyone's talking about Jesus. He's become a rock star. But for others, Jesus is like an enigma. I mean, they're going like, I, he's very mysterious. Don't understand him. I don't understand what he's doing. And that was especially uh, the religious leaders at the time. Just didn't understand Jesus. And so Israel has heard the message of the coming and nearness of the kingdom of God. They've, they've heard it from John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. They've heard it from Jesus. And, then, and, and now they're hearing it from the disciples because in chapter 10 of Matthew, uh, Jesus sends the disciples out to go from town to town. And so, but unlike the disciples, Jesus can do miracles. He can back up everything he says with this incredible power. Now, Israel's at the point where they must make a decision about Jesus. Is he the prophesied Messiah or not? This is, a, this is either a 100% yes or a 100% no decision. For some of the people, Jesus was not turning out to be the kind of Messiah that they thought they would get that had been prophesied uh, hundreds of thousands of years before. They envisioned this conquering hero that might ride in on a, a white stallion and conquer the Roman Empire and eliminate oppression. Um, but as Jesus approaches the end of his mission, he's running into more and more opposition and rejection from those who just don't understand his ministry. And we especially see this in chapters 11 through 13 of Matthew. And three of the evidences Matthew points out for this opposition is, is number one, John the Baptist questions about uh, the Jesus identity, which is what we're going to talk about today. The Jews' indifference to Jesus' message. So they're hearing this message and they're going, ah, this doesn't resonate with me. And, and thirdly, their refusal to respond to Jesus' invitation to repent. Um, repent and turn away from my sin? No, I don't want to do that. So all of this sets the stage for today's argument in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Let me read that for you, or you can read along in your Bible. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Jesus, are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? 
Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So we, we know from scripture that Jesus and John were cousins. I mean, Mary and Elizabeth were sisters, and they were all this one extended family unit, but we don't know how much interaction Jesus and John had when they were growing up. And then later on, they would both uh, go out and, and uh, do their ministry, start their ministries. But we do know this about John the Baptist. He knew that Jesus was the expected one. He just said it in the scripture, the Messiah. We see this in scripture when John baptized Jesus. So go with me to Mark 1, 4, and 5. Give you a little time to get there. Let me read this for you. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Uh, this is really uh, uh, just a, uh, a big point in history because baptism is a huge ritual. John started that ritual as, a, as an act of repentance and then being cleansed of those sins. This is where it got started, if you've ever wondered. Now, let's continue with the story, but I want to go to the book. Of, I want to go to John 1, verses 29 through 34. If you want to turn there, and um, again, I'll read this for us. The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testifying, saying, testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. Jesus. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So John has just testified that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So John knew Jesus he knew Jesus the man, he knew Jesus as his cousin, and he also knew Jesus as the, the Messiah. That, and that was, that was revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah right in that moment as he baptized Jesus. So this is, this is where it happened, that, he, that Jesus became so much more than a man and a cousin. So Jesus, uh, at that point, you know, Jesus goes on, John goes on. At some point, John, because John is the one who's pointing out sin and wants people to repent. Well, the, the ruler of the land of Galilee at that time was uh, Herod Antipas. Now, Herod is the son of, of Herod the Great. And uh, he's not a, uh, Herod Antipas is not a, a very nice man, a ruler. In fact, he seduces 
his stepbrother's wife. Uh, then Herod dismisses his own wife, and then he takes the, the sister-in-law for himself as his wife. And so what John the Baptist did, he called him out on that. He rebuked him. And so Herod just says, I, you know, hey, I'm just going to lock him in a dungeon. In fact, it was uh, put him in a dungeon way out in the boonies. Uh, it's at a fortress of Macarius, which was located in the mountains near the Dead Sea. And so this is, this is John's, where John is now, in a dungeon. Um, and Herod's going like, man, that's great. I got rid of this guy. He was just causing an uproar anyway. Um, with uh, all these people going out and him baptizing them and, and now he's uh, criticizing me as a leader. So Herod took care of the problem. John's in prison and that's the background for today's scripture. And you're probably going like, Keith, uh, you haven't even got to the scripture yet and you're already, what, 15 minutes into this probably. But here's what I'm going to progress through. Try to do it quickly. But I want you to listen because it's good stuff. Here are the four points I'm going to go through. One is the rebuke. Two is Jesus' response. Three is the beatitude that Jesus shares. And then four is the training, or it's the application. It's how we're going to apply what we just learned. So the rebuke. In verse 2 again. Now when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Now, while John was in prison, he sent some of his disciples to Jesus to ask that question, okay? Now, we think, we think of disciples as followers of Jesus Christ when we hear that term. In this case, these were disciples of John. They were followers of him. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a rock star has groupies that, that follow him around, kind of similar to that. So the coming one was a title for the Messiah, okay? And we know that John had previously announced the coming one when he baptized Jesus. And he knew, John knew that he was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was the one that was going to, to announce the coming of the kingdom and then uh, and announce that Jesus, the Messiah, had arrived on the scene. In fact, if we go all the way back to chapter 3 of Matthew 3.11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So you're probably wondering, as I'm, I'm wondering, why did Matthew include this interrogation, the questioning of Jesus by John in this gospel? How's that going to help anyone? And, and why did John question that Jesus was the Messiah when in John himself had testified that Jesus was the Messiah when he baptized him. So let's think about some potential answers to these questions. Maybe John had doubts about Jesus because Jesus didn't suddenly come on the scene and assert his authority and start judging people. Like That's probably what John thought he was going to do. In fact, we see that uh, Jesus was using a completely different approach than maybe John would have. Uh, he was blessing many people instead of judging uh, people. That's a possibility. And second reason could be that uh, the reason that John was having doubts about Jesus or was displeased with Jesus 
was because Jesus' approach was, he was not stern. I mean, what he was offering people was uh, forgiveness, and he was being, he was gracious to people. A third thing might be that John just doesn't understand Jesus like his program, his process, his methodology, like I don't understand his ministry and why he goes about it that way. And a fourth thing to consider is, you know, John's in a dungeon, okay? It's bleak and it's depressing. And I know that when I'm, I'm depressed, I start having all kinds of doubts about things. All of us do. So that might have played a role into him questioning Jesus and what's going on here. Well, you know, John, like John to Jesus, um, maybe you've had someone in your life who you, you would consider like a, a leader or a mentor, someone that you looked up to. And so you had expectations of them. Maybe you believed in the same cause or you had the same passion about something. So you really put this person up on a pedestal. But after a while, you were seeing that their actions didn't prove out what what they you thought they were and or they weren't living out or they weren't doing things the way that you thought they should be done right and so they let you down because you felt like they weren't living it out they weren't fulfilling the role that you felt that they had and i know that that happens to if in an election candidates make claims and that they're going to do things it's on their platform it's their their election pledges and whether you're voting for someone in a school board, a city council, even president, uh, you're going like, yeah, I'm with you, I'll, I'll, I'll vote for you. And then you find out some months or years into it, they're not actually doing anything about what they pledged to do, what they promised to do. It's, and they misrepresent yourselves, themselves and they come off that pedestal for you. Well, this is not the case with what Jesus is explaining to John in this passage, okay? Jesus is basically going to tell John, hey, look, I'm doing everything that God wants to empower me to do. That's what I'm doing. Um, and I think that John just envisioned that Jesus' ministry would look very different. And, you know, John, like Elijah, like Jonah, like Job, you know what? He, he had become discouraged, just like all these other men. And probably it was because Jesus didn't come right out of the gate judging sinners. So now let's look at our second point, um, Jesus' response to John. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, when John posed this question to Jesus through his disciples, Jesus could have said, hey, just tell John, uh, yeah, I'm the expected one. That probably wouldn't have been enough to, satis to satisfy John, right? And it, it probably wouldn't have been a very fair response to John's request, to, to John's question. But Jesus gives a pretty robust reply. Jesus points John back to all the evidence, okay? Evidence point one, uh, this scripture itself 
uh, points out that uh, John's disciples had witnessed some of Jesus' miracles because he says, go and report what you see and hear to John. So they're seeing and hearing some of these miracles and, and his profound teaching. Evidence point number two, the prophecies of Isaiah are being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus points John back to these prophecies. Uh, with the language that he's using uh, in verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. All of these things are prophesied in Messiah like 700 years before. If you want to go to Isaiah 26, 19, Isaiah 29, 18 through 19, Isaiah 35, 5 through 6, or 61, 1, you will see what Jesus is saying all those things Isaiah said, I'm, I'm living out, I'm doing. So big evidence point there. Also, if you go to those references, you're going to find that um, uh, all these references have some type of judgment in them. Uh, they, but Jesus assured John that he was not only the coming one, Jesus is also implying in the way he answered that he, Jesus, is going to fulfill all these prophecies, though he had not done the big one yet um, the salvation of the world but he was going to fulfill all the judgment prophecies in Isaiah and then evidence point three Jesus sends a summary of his ministry um, to, to just say look I, I've done all these supernatural things and it implies that I'm doing things that no mortal man could do so that's a strong evidence point too so what Jesus does is point John back to the evidence that he is the Messiah I don't know about you, but man, if I'm John and I'm chained to a dungeon wall, the only thing I care about is, I, hey, Jesus, I want you to destroy my oppressors. Come in here and just lay them low. Or I might say, hey, Jesus, if I was merciful, I might say, hey, Jesus, just cause them to repent and let me go from their sin. And John would have believed that Jesus could do that, right? He's a Messiah. But say, that's not the plan Jesus was working on. Jesus was working on a much greater plan. And if I were Jesus, I might have responded a little bit differently too when John popped that question. I would have maybe said, hey, John, you know, since you baptized me, I haven't been wasting my time. You know, I've, I've actually been about my father's business. I've been like, I've been healing people. I even brought some people back from the dead and I'm preaching the gospel. You see, I'm working on a much bigger plan. It's, well, it's, it's, it's the salvation of the world, okay? And uh, when you baptized me also, John, you remember when that dove descended from heaven and it, and it lit on my shoulder and, and God said, hey, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased? I mean, you heard that, right, when God said that? So, John, if you doubt me, aren't you doubting God the Father? That might have been my answer to John, and it's not, it's not very sensitive. So I think Jesus' response was much better. And then the last thing that Jesus says is in, in verse 6, And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Okay, this is the beatitude. Anytime there's a blessing, blessed, um, it's, a, it's a beatitude. I think it was a beatitude and a warning. That it was a gentle warning 
from Jesus to John and other believers to not allow Jesus' ministry to become an obstacle to belief in Jesus and a reason for rejecting Jesus as a Messiah. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you don't understand what I'm doing, please don't hold that against me and stop believing in me and my ministry. Okay? Um, so it's, um, it's about saying, hey, I believe in you, Jesus, without having to have a lot of undue proof, demanding a lot of undue proof. It's kind of like similar to uh, Thomas. Uh, when Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, that's doubting Thomas, by the way, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you know what? That's you and me. We haven't seen Jesus, but we, we believe. So that's a, that's a beatitude for you and I as well. Now, there's, there's a lot of information here. Now, how do we apply this to our lives? Let's call this the training, okay? First of all, we all have doubts, okay? We're human beings. We're sinful. We have a fallen nature. So if John the Baptist uh, has doubt, doubts about Jesus, uh, we too are certainly going to have some doubts about our faith, right? If that makes you feel any better. Now, I've been walking with the Lord for almost 40 years now. And uh, I've experienced a lot of trials over my life. And, and with those trials, they bring some doubts, okay? I want to share about a recent doubt some doubts uh, in some ways I was been grappling with God. And uh, it's, it's been over the death of our fifth grandchild. And, uh, you know, for those of you uh, that have experienced a miscarriage or death of a child in some other way, uh, you have my greatest um, empathy in that now that we've experienced this in our family. And uh, if this is a little emotionally charged for you, I just want to give you kind of a little bit of a warning, uh, just to apologize in advance with that. But here's the story. So with our first, uh, this is my oldest daughter, Sarah, and her husband, Justin. Um, so when they had their first child, which was 18 months ago, uh, they tried to do everything right so that they could deliver the child. It could be natural childbirth. So they had the doula, they went through all the training, they tried to do everything they could so this delivery would be the best process, natural process possible. It didn't happen that way. We prayed for it to happen that way, but it didn't happen that way. Uh, 25 hours in labor, she pushed for five, my daughter pushed for five of those hours without medication. Um, they end up having to have a C-section to, to get Silas out. And when they did, they cut Silas on the cheek, a really bad cut on the cheek. And so that's kind of adding insult to in injury. Well, gosh, we had to have the C-section, and C-section, the child got cut. In fact, they had to bring in a special surgeon to repair the cut. So, And then Silas had some pretty bad jaundice for the next four or five weeks. Uh, and Sarah was doing her best to do the breastfeeding and just couldn't get enough milk and... Uh, he was underweight, and, uh, and so we just prayed and prayed that uh, Silas uh, would gain weight and get better and eat more, eat better. And so they had a really tough time. 
uh, with, with Silas and his, with the delivery of Silas. And then Sarah shared with me that she had some postpartum depression after that. So really kind of a tough experience. Now, July this year, we got news that they were going to have their second child. We're so excited um, and uh, feel so blessed that they have their second child on the way. And uh, they're at 12 weeks and they go in for their first doctor visit. And they get in there and they're looking at the sonogram and they're going like, ooh, this doesn't look right. And the doctor comes in and says, it's because it's not right. Uh, your child has a condition called anencephaly. And this is where the, the skull does not form and, and so, thus the brain cannot form. And, uh, what, what's, uh, and, and at that time we were really heartbroken. We were shocked to get the news and heartbroken. The whole family, but especially Justin and Sarah. Now 75% of babies that have anencephaly, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be delivered, and, uh, but it's 100% fatality rate. So uh, most of them die within minutes, uh, hours, and, but some of them have lived for a few days. And so it's as, it's as if you're planning this pregnancy uh, but you're also thinking about, you could be, you know, you're planning your death as well. And so, but Sarah and Justin wanted what, this, this life, this, was, this, this, this uh, baby was a life that God had given them. And they wanted whatever time they could have with this baby, whether it was a few minutes, a few seconds, a few hours. And so, um, so we went on just praying and, and with them through this. And... Um, it was at four and a half months, uh, they went back in for another routine visit. And the baby was growing, and uh, put the baby on the sonogram, and there's, there's no heartbeat. And they learned on that day that the, the baby had died in the womb, maybe, maybe some days before. And that was hard. I mean, literally, it was like we've experienced um, the death this child and uh, and so that was really really hard for the whole family and um, so Sarah they had scheduled to Sarah to have a procedure to have the baby removed and uh, that was going to be on a Monday well on the Sunday night before that Monday she went into uh, uh, full out labor um, and uh, they got in the car and were headed to the hospital. Her water broke and she started having cramping and bleeding. And they had to put together an emergency team at the hospital uh, to uh, remove this child. And uh, in Sarah's words, it was, a, it was a terrifying and terrible experience for them. And uh, um, so yet they had the emergency removal of the baby. And it wasn't even her doctor, it was another doctor that could get there sooner to help to, to remove this baby. This, um, and they, uh, Sarah and Justin weren't even told that this could happen. So it was really discouraging, it was hard. And I didn't find about, Kay and I didn't find out about they had been through all this uh, till Monday morning. And um, we heard the story. Man, and I was just really, I was really frustrated with God. I was going like, God, with everything that they went through with uh, their first child, I just prayed and prayed and prayed that that procedure, there would be, they'd go smoothly and there would be 
no problems with that procedure. And God didn't even grant that. With everything I've been through, God didn't grant that one request that I made that this procedure would go smoothly. It didn't go at all like, like what I had prayed. Uh, and so I was going like, man, I was like, I was on a run and I was grappling with God. And I was like, God, why'd you put my daughter and son-in-law through all this? It just doesn't make sense that you would end this whole pregnancy that way. And uh, God, why didn't you answer these prayers the way I wanted them answered? I mean, this is my baby girl. I, and I meant I was just duking it out with God. And a couple hours later, I was taking a shower, getting ready to go to work. And I really feel like God just hit me in that moment in the shower and said, you know, Keith, I, I answered your prayer. I answered your prayers with solace. I answered your prayers with this baby. Your biggest prayer was that your daughter would be safe, that she would be healthy, that she would not be harmed. And uh, I did that. I answered, I answered your prayer. I answered the prayer that was like, seemed to be like the most important prayer to you. And, and uh, I just paused for a moment and I said, you know what, God, you did. You did. You answered. You answered uh, my prayer. And guess what? I'm sorry. And I thank you. I thank you. Uh, we've got an incredible grandson uh, that God has granted Silas and Justin. And you know what? If he wants them to have another baby, um, then uh, we'll, we'll wait for him to grant that. But So anyway, it's, I mean, here I am. I've been a Christian a long time. I have my doubts. I have trials that cause doubts. I know you probably do too. But I think it's what's really important is when we have doubts, we need to be able to express those doubts to God and to other people. We don't want to keep those doubts hidden because we want to give ourselves to grow in this process. We don't want to get stuck in our doubts. You know, we're just not able to move. Or worse yet, we don't want these doubts to take us off course and take us into an area we don't want to go. Maybe Satan wants us to go there, but we don't want to go there. And then we don't want to overly empower our doubts. You know, we can actually empower our doubts and make them a lot worse than they need to be. So that is what John did. And, uh, you know, and when John had doubts, he didn't seem that concerned that he was sending his disciples to ask Jesus this question. I don't see in this that he was going like, oh, this might hurt their faith in Jesus. If they, know how, they know about my doubts. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Matthew could have just left this inquiry out of his gospel in the first place. Uh, because Matthew could have been said, I'm going to leave out this story about Jesus because it might create doubts for others. And I don't want to do that. But Matthew didn't leave it out. And John asked the question, because they understand that God is bigger than our doubts. God is bigger than our doubts. And that we should entrust our doubts to him and share them with each other. Now, when you have doubts about your faith, um, are you like careful with your doubts? Are you just going like, Man, I don't want to share my doubts with that person. 
I know that sometimes I'm careful about who I share my doubts with. Uh, I do have a mentor. He's a pastor at another church. And if I have some, some really strong theological doubts or questions about something, I will talk to him. I, I talk to my wife, Kay. I feel like I talk to people that can help me handle maybe some serious doubts in a biblical way. And, but I want, you to, I want you to think about who you have as an outlet for your doubts and, uh, and not hold on to them. I, I want you to feel like there's others uh, that you can share your doubts with. And my experience at North Village Church is this is a really safe environment. Um, I felt like it's, a, it's a, certainly an environment where I can share my doubts with other brothers, which I have in the church, with, with Michael, with, with the elders. I, and I, I really love that we are a, an environment where no one would ever judge us because we had a doubt or question about, about anything, about the Bible, about Jesus. So find someone um, if you have doubts. And it's good to take steps to resolve our doubts. Uh, you know, the challenge of, the challenge of COVID is, uh, you know, in our American culture, we're so independent. We think we have a solution for everything. We're, we're just so independent. It's like we had this armor. And uh, uh, COVID, what it's done is it's just, over the months, it's broken down our, our armor. And we're finding that we have chinks in our armor. And those chinks now are, it's, our armor's been pulled back and we're being injured and it's like we're starting to bleed all over the place. And this is what COVID has done to us. It's found those chinks in our armor. And if you look out throughout the history of the, of the Bible, it's uh, God allowed things to happen and, uh, and, I, and it, because it exposes where some of our, our sin can be exposed, our lack of faith can be exposed things that God wants us to, to get our attention about can be exposed. And it's, it's called refiner's fire. We, we're refined when these things happen. And, um, and so we're seeing that now. And, and, and doubts are part of that. And uh, so we need to be thinking about what steps am I taking? What steps are you taking to resolve those doubts? And um, so really want us to think about stepping into that and because uh, there's a purification process that's taking place here. You know, we're seeing in the church, we're seeing people press stronger into God and be more dependent on God than ever, but we're also seeing that many people are falling away and uh, the church represented something completely different. Maybe the relationship with Jesus Christ isn't there or wasn't there. And so that's, that's another thing that we see taking place. We need to be humbling ourselves, learning from others, certainly asking God for answers, uh, maybe leaning into some new things, but we don't want to leave uh, our doubts bottled up. So, and the last thing is um, I, don't, I think I want to conclude this here. There are just some doubts. There are some things that we're just, we don't have answers for. We're not going to have, have answers this side of heaven. We're just going to have damp. We're going to have some doubts that we're going to take to our grave. And that's because we're human. Um, but 
there's one thing for sure that we will never doubt, and that is Jesus Christ and what he came to do. He fulfilled his mission. He died to save, save the whole world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. And uh, the next verse says, Because God did not send Jesus to the world to judge the world, but to save the world. And, and so we're all going to be going to a place. If you believe in Jesus, we're going to a place where there, there's no more doubts. Okay? And we're going to a place uh, where we're going to have this a great eternal uh, adventure with God. So I hope you're ready for it. Okay, let's get ready for it. Let's pray. Well, God, uh, I'm thankful that when you, when you wrote this incredible piece of literature called the Bible, uh, that uh, you didn't pull any punches. Um, you put it very actual, very much real to our lives uh, with arguments and doubts and, and truths and the sting of truth. Uh, God, you wanted us to take it straight up, uh, but you also extend grace as we take it straight up. Lord, you provide a way. You help us to persevere. You help us in, to endure through your power, through your Holy Spirit, through your word. And we're, we're thankful, God, that we have you to hang on to through this time of COVID and through all trials, God, through the uh, when babies aren't born or they're born without life, you're still there. You're still holding us. You're still with us. And Lord, we get to be with this kind of God who would be faithful for us for eternity. So Lord, I just ask that you would please help all of us to take whatever doubts we might have and express them, process them, share them, and uh, God, that we might end up in a better place uh, with those doubts. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.